looking at, and we specifically broke down the person of Christ's role, his ministry, into three parts. And commonly in the church, we refer to three roles that uh, Jesus fulfilled as prophet, priest, and king. So prophetic role, priestly role, and kingly role. And you look at the Bible, and, and it, it's very, it becomes very clear in the Old Testament, there was a lot of foreshadowing of what the person, the Messiah, would come and do. And the three offices that Jesus Christ specifically fulfills is the role of the prophet, role of the priest, and role of the king. And so for that, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And these three verses sums all of that up. And we've been looking at this verse uh, for the past two weeks, three weeks. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So he's talking about the, in the Old Testament, God spoke through different prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So in these last days, he spoke, God spoke to us, not through these other prophets okay, that, that are not perfect, but through his son, Jesus Christ himself, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, we're going to talk about this today, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so that last part is, is, is portraying Jesus Christ as the king, the ruler. And since last Sunday was Palm Sunday, we talked about that, right? And so today, we're going to look at that middle part where he says, after he had provided purification for sins, and that he is referring to the priestly role of Jesus Christ. And that is the final role we're going to be looking at this morning. So the question is, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the great high priest? Jesus is the great high priest. And what does that have to do with the, us? What does the fact that Jesus is the high priest have to do with us, you and me? Okay. So in order for us to understand a little better, I wanted to break down just very quickly what a priest in the Old Testament did. Because remember, all of these things in the Old Testament foreshadowed. They were foreshadowing what Christ would do in the New Testament, right, when he would come. So we want, I wanted to just very quickly break down for us um, what a priest would do in the Old Testament. Okay, so if you look at the next slide, um, just three roles. The function of a priest in the Old Testament function of a priest in the Old Testament is, is threefold. Again, there are other things they did, obviously, but these are the main three things. First is that they would offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. So people will bring their sins to priests, and then they would, the priest would put their sins upon an innocent animal, and they would take the consequence, basically, of the sin. Right? This innocent animal would take the consequence of the sin, uh, freeing this person of their guilt for that particular sin, right? So uh, priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Second thing, they would intercede for the people. They would offer prayers for the people that they're serving. They would intercede for them. The third thing is that they would offer praises to God. They would offer praises to God, meaning publicly declare the greatness of, uh, of the God that they serve. Now you put all of that together Basically, what a priest in the Old Testament was doing was 
to sanctify, sort of sanctify, make people holy, to, to uh, uh, enable people to be presentable and acceptable to God. Okay, That's, that was the main purpose of what the priests would do in the Old Testament. Make people, because God is holy and people are not, and in order to make people presentable and acceptable to God, he would do these things so that people will be presentable, acceptable to God. Now, those are what the Old Testament priests would do when Jesus Christ came, though. What does he do? What does he do? He not only uh, comes to us as a savior, but how does he, you know, he came as an ultimate prophet, he came as the king, but the thing he does uh, that we read in the verse today is that he himself becomes the sacrifice. He himself becomes a sacrifice, and he is a priest who offers a sacrifice as well. That's why he is the ultimate priest. He himself became the sacrifice for our sins. He was the innocent scapegoat that took our sins upon himself and took the blow of the enemy for sinning against God. We had aligned ourselves with the enemy and gave the enemy the right to exercise the power of death over us. So what that means is when we rebelled against God, we sort of gave the right to our enemy to exercise his power of death over us. You understand that? And so in order for us to be free of that, Christ himself became the sacrifice himself, the ultimate sacrifice, taking that right away from the enemy because it has now been paid for. The consequence has been paid for. He paid for our debt and we were redeemed as a result of that. Now, in the same book of Hebrews chapter 10, it says this. It says that it is impossible for the blood of a, of a bull and goats to take away our sins. So in the Old Testament, basically, when the priests were offering up sacrifices over and over and over again, different festivals, different you know, uh, times throughout the year, and whenever somebody would come, when they would offer up sacrifices over and over again, the, 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 as it says, the blood of these animals would not be able to do that, would not be able to completely take away our sins. So essentially, they served as a reminder more than anything else that we are sinful, that we are in need of God's saving grace. But when Christ came, he himself, by becoming the ultimate sacrifice and offering up the sacrifice, he redeemed us and we were free from the consequences of our sin, which was death. And this is really important because we like to talk about, oh, now I'm forgiven. You know, oh, I am forgiven through Jesus Christ. But it's not just about that. This is very important for us to understand. We were not only forgiven of our sins as a result of Christ's sacrifice, but we were set free from the grip of the enemy. When Christ rose from the dead, when he claimed victory over sin and death, because resurrection, he basically said, death, I'm alive. He defeated the power of death and freed us from the power and the grip of Satan, the enemy. And he also modeled prayer for us 
the great high priest would offer a prayer on behalf of the people. And, and this is sort of twofold. Jesus Christ not only taught us how to pray, but it says also in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is even now praying on our behalf, interceding on our behalf for us. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. And while the high priests in the Old Testament offered a praise to God, Jesus Christ himself is the object of praise. And we already saw that in the verses that we read today. Now he sits on the right hand of God Almighty. So what does all of this mean for us, right? What does all of this mean for us? The other passage that we've been looking at through these past three weeks it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm going to read that one more time because it's very important for us to understand. But you you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember, for the past three weeks, we saw that Jesus Christ, Christ came as the ultimate prophet. So through that, how does the Holy Spirit enable us to live in this world? What do we become? We become the prophetic voice in this world, right? We talked about that. The church, the believers, individual believers and, and, and church, the collective body of believers, we are to be the prophetic voice in this world, speaking the truth of God into this world. And we talked last week about the fact that Jesus Christ is the king. And because of that, we are now enabled by the Holy Spirit to be the representatives of the king in this world. And today we see that Jesus is our great high priest, the ultimate, the perfect great high priest. So what does that mean? And in fact, the verse tells us, you are now in fact to be the priest in this world. And the Bible talks about many, many times, you offer up sacrifice of praise, offer a praise to God. If that is in fact what the priest would do, offering up praises, but now we offer praises to God. And in the Old Testament, only what? Only who could go into the Holy of Holies? I don't know if you remember or familiar with the Old Testament temple, but they're divided into different sections, right? Okay, but the, the, the center part, the deepest place, the whole, it's called the Holy of Holies, who was allowed to be in there? Only one person. Who was that person? The high priest, right? The high priest. But what does it say? When Jesus was crucified, it says not only was the curtain ripped open, but Hebrews 10, 19 and 22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure 
water. It says that we are now able to enter the Holy of Holies by what Christ has done for us. It is no longer this one person who is designated, and they're so scared to go in because you go in, they would have bells all around their robes, right? Because if they had any sin remaining in the Old Testament, these priests, any sin remaining, and they dare to walk into the Holy of Holies, they would hear the bells while the priests are walking around in the Holy of Holies, and then all of a sudden they would just, boom, it would stop ringing, and there would be a rope attached to them, so they would just drag his body out, right? Okay, that's how it was. But now it says through what Christ has accomplished for us, we, you, me, each person, each child of God, we are able to enter into the Holy of Holies, into the deep presence of God. And so we now serve that priestly role in this world. Prophet, priest, king, the three offices that Jesus fulfilled, he now enables us, he calls the church to be these things in this world. And the point is that none of this would matter if it weren't for today. None of this would matter if it weren't for today. What's today again? Resurrection Sunday, right? There is no figure here hanging on the cross. There is no one in the tomb. The tomb is empty. If there was no resurrection, Paul, in fact, says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, you are sorry, sorry, people. What's the point if there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is the point? Because of Jesus' resurrection, we now have the hope of resurrection ourselves, and this is what makes difference in our life. And the question is this, that what will you do with this piece of information? You know, I, I thought about uh, maybe today doing a message on more on the uh, lines of apologetics, you know, give, give uh, uh, evidence for resurrection and talk about that. You know, historically, why, why is it, uh, uh, you know, all the proofs, all the, you know, the reasons why we should uh, believe that Jesus, we should know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know, I thought about that. But, you know, I decided to uh, just kind of focus on what Christ accomplished for us. But the question is, uh, that, uh, I mean, the fact remains that Jesus Christ no other person in history from the ancient world has more evidence than Jesus Christ does proving that he lived and died and rose from the dead. And regardless of what you may think about what the person of Jesus Christ did, what he did, you have to make a decision. You can't just say he was a nice person, he was a great teacher, and that's it. He was just the great human person that ever lived. You know, you, you, can, you can say he was the greatest person that ever lived. But Christ doesn't allow you to do that. You have to make a decision with him if what he said was true. If he did indeed rise from the dead, that changes everything. That changes everything. And that resurrection is different from Lazarus' resurrection, resurrection when Jesus Christ rose him from the dead, right? Raised him from the dead. Because why? Why is Jesus' resurrection different from Lazarus' resurrection? 
What's one fundamental difference between those two resurrections? Yeah, Lazarus dies again. That's not the hope we have. Do you understand that? I don't, my hope is not the, in the resurrection, type of resurrection that Lazarus experienced because he died again. But my hope is in the kind of resurrection that Jesus showed us. That we will be made perfect. That we will be made like new and in the way that God uh, made for us to be. And it is because of this hope that we are able to overcome the world. And this is the main point this morning for all of you. Because we are still here, right? You're still seated in these seats. We're looking at each other. And at the snap of a finger, all of us could start thinking about work tomorrow, the traffic that you have to sit through, um, that neighbor that's driving you crazy, that argument you just had with your spouse this morning. I had a slight argument this morning. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it never fails on Easter Sunday morning, right? Okay? And, and that puts me back in reality really fast, right? I'm thinking about eternity, resurrection, angels singing, and then, zzzk, and then, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm still here. This is, it's still, this is reality. You know, you, at the snap of a finger, you could be thinking about your homework that you didn't finish, schoolwork, right? That friend that's giving you a hard time, okay? Maybe that relative that's been driving you crazy, or maybe that friend that you've been praying for so that they will know Jesus Christ, but they're just being so uh, reluctant. They're unwilling. Maybe family member. The snap of a finger, we could start thinking about our friend who's suffering from physicals, pain and disease and illness. Maybe you are, in fact, suffering from physical pain and brokenness. The fact that we have resurrection hope, it helps us to overcome the present brokenness and see that resurrection power can bring healing and hope to our brokenness right now. So I'm telling you right now, resurrection power, resurrection hope can heal broken marriages. You place your hope in Jesus Christ and you believe in the power of resurrection. Jesus can raise, resurrect from the dead broken marriages. Jesus the resurrection power, the resurrection hope can heal broken communities. Resurrection power can heal, you know what, even broken dreams. And so in the midst of all that is broken in the world, we, the church, the redeemed are called not only to hold on to this hope for ourselves, but we are to be the beacon of hope for this world because we have this hope of resurrection. That means because you have resurrection hope in your marriage, you are to be that light in your marriage. You are to be that source of hope in your marriage. That means that I am to be light for my children. And my children, I know they're listening, oh, he's more like the force of darkness in our family than, you know, a force of light or whatever. But, you know, because, again, I say we're here. We're still broken. We're not perfect. Uh, but it's a constant transformation, right? That means that, that we're to be light at our work. That means that when someone turns away, when others turn away in disgust, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. 
We are to run to that place and extend our arms into that situation and, and be the source of hope with the love of Christ. When other people shake their heads in disgust and disapproval, we are to run to that place and we are to be the source of hope and encouragement and be the arms of mercy. When others walk away in pain, we run to that person. We run to that place and we embrace them with our arms of love because we have the hope of resurrection in Christ. And so we're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now. And uh, I'm going to ask that you pray for two things. Um, in response to the word, in response to the message of resurrection. First is, if you know this resurrection, praise the Lord for, for this, res uh, this hope that you have. Thank the Lord. Offer prayers of thanksgiving and praise to God for this hope of resurrection that you have. And the second thing is that you intercede for those who are without this hope to pray for those that are without hope of resurrection. And that you and I, we the church, would be the source of hope and encouragement for this world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. We're gonna pray this prayer together right now. And, and I want you to think about, as, as part of the second part of this prayer, the brokenness in your own life. Christ resurrecting from the dead, it's not limited to just him. That power, that hope, the victory over death, the freedom from death, it now overflows and extends to those who place their faith in him.